Hello and welcome to Walks of Life, where we welcome people from around the world, all walks of life. People who have gone through a lot, have seen a lot, and are happy to share their stories and perspectives. My name is Maya Muller. Today I'm interviewing Shreya Radhika Lakhani, a 20-year-old devotional singer and devotee of Indian guru Swami Chittanand Saraswati Ji. Shreya has been going to the ashram Paramath Nikitan, located on the banks of the Ganges in Rishikesh, India, since the age of six. At the same time, she is also a final year undergraduate student reading Sanskrit at Oxford University. So it's ashram that I've been going to since I was about six in Rishikesh, on the banks of the Ganges, at the foothills of the Himalayas, called Paramath Nikitan. And it's run by Puja Swami Chidananda Saraswati, who's my guru. And, yeah, I've got a very attached personal relationship to it as a place, definitely. When I was younger and we had to leave and it was the end of the trip, I would just cry for about a week after we left. The guys who would drive us to the airport are still there and still remember. And even when we leave now, they always remember, oh, oh remember when you were young and cried and wouldn't get out of the car at the airport and threatened to come back with us. And I was like, yeah, I still feel like that, but I've just learned to control it a bit more. <laughs> um, so it's always been this massive longing, really deep longing to be there. Um, because of the, just the pure, open happiness and bliss that I feel when I'm there. Because I'm naturally very open and very loving. And some people find that, great and some people find it more difficult to deal with because it's very like lovey-dovey and very touchy-feely and very open and and that's not normal I, I don't think that's a norm in the west really like people aren't actually that open I think people are scared of loving and scared of being open and it makes it hard when you are because it's easy to get hurt and I'm not actually a very good judge of when I should be open and loving and when I should actually protect myself and that's definitely something I'm working on um but people are not used to receiving, let alone giving, that kind of deep love. And where, I, whereas there? Whereas there, exactly. So where, where, whereas when I'm there, it's just... That just sits comfortably and everyone is open and I can just be my true self and sit by Ganga and just love Ganga and Ganga loves me and loves the world and we both just love. And that's just great. <laughs> And there's really special ceremony every evening called the Arti, where everyone sings, and it's an offering to Mother Ganga, and she's worshipped as the as the goddess and as the divine mother, and um, and I guess that's where this whole thing about water comes in as well because she's this incredibly powerful sacred river. And in the, in, in the Hindu tradition, she's when you go to her waters and you bathe in her waters, you free yourself from the cycle of rebirth and you clear yourself of, of all your pop or your sins. Um, but yet people dump rubbish in her waters and people pollute her rivers. And this is not the way to go. So... Every evening, Swamiji encourages everyone to take a pledge to protect all the rivers of the world and keep water clean and preserve water and 
respect our environment. He always says, you can have a plan B, but there's no planet B. <laughs> oh, I love that. He comes up with so many of these wonderful puns that actually have really important significance. Um, and if you just look at the way Gunga flows, you could, I mean, I just sit for hours staring at her flow. It's just so powerful. And I love to bathe in her as well. It's the most wonderful experience. Um, and she just flows and flows and flows and flows and flows. She doesn't say, oh, you guys are dumping in my river. I'm too tired today. I'm going to sit back and have a day off. Mm. And that's this thing of entitlement as well. She just keeps going with no, and this is again a Swamiji quote, no hesitation, no frustration, no expectation, no vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Something that was definitely a highlight of my trip to India this time was finding my voice through singing and through Indian devotional singing, through bhakti, which is the word for devotion and it was just this powerful love and devotion that was coming through me in the form of song because there's so much in the Hindi scriptures and the Buddhist scriptures about attachment from a young age I was always confused about how to be unattached yet love so deeply and in the Indian scriptures uh, all these different concepts are personified and there are stories to them and there are myths and it's wonderful and bhakti bhakti is devotion and the mother of bhakti is vairagya vairagya is unattachment and this is really significant and powerful because and Savaji tells stories about it and she tells one story about how if you're on the beach you've got you've been collecting shells you've been collecting shells for years and months and you've got all these stunning shells in your hand and someone comes up to you and offers diamonds those shells just drop automatically because you're like wow these diamonds and those shells just drop and that's exactly the same when it comes to this devotion because when you find those diamonds when you find the divine your attachments or your shells just drop. And you're so full of diamonds that you're shining and you have so much love for the shells, but you're not attached to them. You have all this love and connection and devotion and the attachments automatically become so minor that they just drop by. And those are all the things of the world that we're attached to and all these different symbols in this story and, and that was very powerful to experience also this amalgamation of the, like the eastern sounds and mm. they really deeply resonate with me naturally from I guess from birth and through my grandma and going to Rishikesh every year and hearing the mantras and studying Sanskrit they come so naturally to me and like the whole arti I, I know off my heart just from all these years and it just came so naturally and wonderfully okay i love this question um which women have inspired you wow <laughs> <laughs> my sister is incredibly yeah really dear to me and very yeah i think she's inspiring i think she's incredible 
very different to me. So many of her qualities I look at and think, oh, wow, that's a different way of doing that. And that's there's many good things about how she does that or how she doesn't... Like I was talking about, it's easy to... Um, get boxed into other people's definitions and get swayed by the crowd and things like that mm. and I, I do that a lot I'm very in many ways not like as as strong at my core um, as she is she's very much will do what she wants how she wants and doesn't care what anyone else thinks which I love um, and at the end of the day the people that care about her are there for her I'm much more like, oh my god, everyone needs to like me, blah blah blah. Do who am I seeing when? How can I keep in touch with 500 people? And that doesn't <laughs> serve me well all the time. Um, so I'm aiming to become much more grounded in myself, like like I am a lot of the time when I'm not in that environment. Um, and go with what flows with me and what I want and what I want to do. Is there a man that has inspired you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely a daddy's girl. <laughs> <laughs> and like when I've been through ups and downs, I guess he's just been there as as a reassurance, I guess. And he's just, even if it's just a pat on the shoulder and him telling me it's going to be okay, that's just always helped me massively. And again, he's um, but his like hard work ethic and um, kind of unfailing determination. I guess like he he grew up in Kenya, um, lost his dad when he was aged four. Was part of a huge family. He was the youngest, the second youngest of eleven kids, wow. um, and and did a lot on his own. He was sort of on his own, not on his own from the start, but was very independent and had a lot of. His education, everything was sort of down to him. He didn't have two parents being like, oh, so have you done your homework today? That was just not how it worked. Um, wow. He made his way over to England, studied really, really hard. Um, I guess sort of fell into the industry he's in, which is finance. But instead of sort of grumbling and moaning that that doesn't like fit with his morals, he's worked super hard and maintained in his personal life, a really strong spiritual practice and a really strong um, way of grounding himself and through meditation and yoga and breathing and all these things. I'm just really curious what your response would be, but maybe you know it. There's a famous Albert Einstein quote, which goes, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. And then there's a guy called Todd, and he writes in response to that quote, it is quite clear to anyone who really looks that there are a great many people who are not geniuses in anything. They may be better at particular things than others and perhaps even have a knack for some stuff. But genius? Shakespeare was a genius, Darwin was a genius. To say Uncle Eric is a genius because he can reach the green on the fourth fairway with a seven iron, well, that just debases the term. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious to hear what your response would be. Interesting. I definitely agree with the Einstein quote in terms of measuring everyone by a set way and how that restricts some people and leaves out a lot of people. And I definitely think that is a problem with the 
conventional education system and all these things I think there's a lot of value in looking at unconventional ways of measuring people's intellect and abilities and I met someone once who told me that the world wants to put keeps wanting to put you in a box and never be put in a box because that's just restricting and you can't label things and categorize things that's not how we're made and that's not how the world works really and he said the only time I want to be put in a box is when I die and then he actually <laughs> said and even then I don't because I want to be cremated so that sort of sums it up I guess um not wanting to be put in a box um and in terms of the response to that quote um I get that and I think this is where you can turn to I guess to something more uh, on a spiritual level and look at how we should I don't know it depends on how you define this term genius and what does a genius mean because I guess the real aim and purpose is to live with that awareness of this space that exists where that space behind your thoughts and that space of that is reality and that is I guess truth or whatever you want to call it God light Krishna like you can call it anything and we've come up with so many names but again you can't put a name on it you can't describe it but in reality we're not our thoughts we're not our emotions we're not our bodies we know that because I don't have any cell in my body that was me when I was eight years old. So, of course, I'm not the body. And you can go through. There's, this, there's a, a meditation practice called Nati Nati. Not this, not this. And you can go through what I'm not. I'm not my shoe. I'm not my clothes. I'm not my body. I'm not my blood. I'm not my organs. All these things that, yes, of course, we're not. But if you go deeper and deeper and deeper, and I guess through meditation as well, there's some sort of space between our thoughts because our thoughts change and our thoughts are fleeting if we were our thoughts then we'd be thinking all the time but actually there's something there when we're not thinking there's some consciousness and an awareness of that and an ability to tap into that space maybe that's what creates a genius maybe these people who we think are geniuses like Shakespeare and Darwin and all these people Perhaps they were on that level and in touch with that space. And Uncle Eric can be in touch with that space as well if he wants. And maybe we recognise them as geniuses because they were in the right place at the right time or fame came to them or all these different scenarios and... um, all these different um, factors factors were there at that time, which meant that they became a great mind in what we think, and and like a great intellectual, revered figure. All those factors came to that result at that time, and that happens in history many times. And sometimes we don't find out about these people till thousands of years later when they're gone. So it also depends on the society and the civilization at that time, and the mindset and the consciousness of humanity and how they're going to respond to that individual and see and view that individual. 
and judge them. And that links to the whole putting in a box thing. I mean, I think the thing is, this whole thing of perspective and knowing that there's something greater than us can be kind of consolidated by the fact that we actually have no power of what family we're born into, what circumstances, where, the situation of that family. Like, we actually, as humans, do not have power over that. The only thing we can do is exercise our, our choice and our, our, our freedom of choice and freedom of speech and all these things. This is, this is what we have the tools to do. And our minds and our intellects are the, and our, our humanness is our greatest gift. And you meet people in India and in Botswana and all these different countries that have absolutely peanuts, can't even put a meal in front of them, but have some sort of spark of life. They are happy. They love you. They want to invite you to their houses. They might not have a pair of shoes on their feet. They don't care. That's great. Come to my house. Come and eat. Please be my guest. And you meet someone in, I don't know, Hollywood with... 100 million pounds who is all is actually miserable so this whole thing can be turned upside down and it's up to us in that moment in each moment i choose to be happy all of this is as much to myself as it is to other people um um because i'm very sensitive and emotional and get so attached easily to people and things and especially to people and like emotions and situations, definitely. So I find that very difficult. Um, but at the end of the day, if I just meditated and shut my eyes and took myself to that place, and that's the whole beauty, and that's, and that's my aim, I guess. My aim is that I can bring that energy and stillness and power and love and all those things that I feel there, my aim is that I can bring that to wherever I am. Define spirituality. Pure joy or happiness of looking at a sunset or looking at a tiny blade of grass or a flower or something. It could be a really deep mystical experience in some sort of faith tradition. It could be so many different things um, for different people. It could be like the, the way you lose yourself when you're dancing or singing or doing music or all these things, even doing sports. There was a really lovely quote I read once. I think it's by uh, a, a famous Indian uh, teacher called Sadhguru. And I think he said something along the lines of, everybody is a spiritual seeker, either consciously or unconsciously, but it's better to be a conscious one. And I agree with that because I think at the end of the day, everyone is looking for happiness and is looking to find something meaningful in life. And I guess that's what spirituality is. That's the only thing we really have the power to do is to change ourselves. And I aim and strive to bring that energy and peace and compassion and all these things um, wherever I am, to whatever situation I'm in, to bring that... Um, I guess, energy and stillness and all those things. And not have to physically be there and 
spread that happiness and love because the world needs it. Down at the